0: 18 plus hello everyone i am ben johnson and this is the perpetual chess podcast perpetual chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players authors personalities and adult improvers where they discuss their lives their careers and share tips about how to improve at chess for more information go to perpetualchesspod.com so without further ado let's get to the Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess and Happy New Year. We are joined by a longtime friend of the show. He's also an award-winning author, a Chessable author, and an international master. He's created some of Chessable's most popular opening courses, and I myself am a frequent user of a couple of these courses. He's out with an ambitious new course continuing his Keep Keep It Simple series. This one, Keep It Simple Black, provides a complete black repertoire against all white first moves and setups. I've been checking it out, and it's impressive as always. It's been two years since uh, I am Christoph Selecki has been a guest on the podcast, although he did help me out for our less than glowing review of my system. But we've got a lot to catch up on. We've also got some current chess events to discuss. The FIDE World Rapid and Blitz has just concluded. But before we do any of that, let's welcome Christoph back to the show. Hey, Christoph, how are you? I'm fine.
2: Thanks, Ben. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me again for this first show of 2022, right?
0: Yeah, and this is a rare quick turnaround. Uh, when when I'm firing on all cylinders, the these get recorded about two weeks in advance, but we're recording about four days before uh, this podcast will come out, which yep. gives us a special opportunity to sort of cover some breaking news in the form of the FIDE World Rapid and Blitz, which which just re- just finished. The Blitz portion just finished yep. yesterday as we record this, and. Um, I, I don't know how many of the listeners were following, but certainly in the online chess community, it's a big event. I've mentioned in the past, it's one of my favorite events. I enjoy the faster chess, but I especially like the, the IRL aspect. And let's face it, it's a world championship. There aren't that many world championships. Um, so Christoph, wh- what did you think of uh, this event? And obviously there are some controversies, which uh, we will discuss, but what was your overall impression of uh, both the Rapid and the Blitz championship in Warsaw?
2: Yeah, I'm a huge fan as well, both uh, Rapid and Blitz.
0: I think the, I'm a fan of faster
2: time controls anyway. And in real life, it's, uh, of course, just much better than online. Yeah, you have all the emotions, the players. And you had, I mean, there's this f- fantastic clip yeah, of this player, like who fall, fell from his chair, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, and these kind of things just don't happen no? online. So it was uh, great watching this again. Yeah, clearly, it has been affected by the pandemic, which is, yeah, in a way, unavoidable. If you want to stage an event like that in the first place, then you have to deal with it quite clearly. If he did it in a great way, it's questionable, but we both were not at the event. Yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult sometimes to judge if you haven't experienced um, it for yourself. I mean, some aspect seemed questionable, right? Like they had to, day- to do a daily testing and it felt a little bit odd what you were able to read on Twitter, right? That they had to do daily testing outside and things like that. If that was really the case, it looks odd, right?
0: Yeah, there were some unusually outspoken uh, critiques of FIDE's organization by some top players, as as you allude to, Christoph uh, Vida Guzrati, uh, tweeted a picture of him waiting in line to, to get COVID tested. Mm. Um, you know, it certainly makes sense that COVID testing was was required, but they didn't set up anything. Of course, there was also a last-minute venue change due to COVID issues. Um, mm. uh, I believe it was supposed to be in... Um, Kazakhstan. Thank you. Yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be in Kazakhstan and moved to Warsaw at the last minute. So that may have impacted it. But yeah, so a lot of... Uh, A lot of players are not, even though uh, FIDE has made their share of mistakes over the years, a lot of players are not always uh, vocally um, critical of it. But in this case, MVL was. Um, And we'll get back to some of that stuff. But first, for any listeners who didn't catch the events, just to quickly run down the results the, the open section of the World Rapid was won by Grandmaster nordirik Abdusatarav of Uzbekistan. He actually tied with Nepomnići and Carlson uh, because of the tiebreak system. He, Carlson didn't make the playoff and he beat Nepomitchi, uh in the, the, the playoff. So, just an amazing result from a young talent. Um, in the women's rapid, GM Alexandra Kosteniuk won convincingly. Uh, she's showing uh, amazing longevity and form. So, shout out to her. Super impressive. And in the blitz, there was kind of a similar story in the open section in the uh, Maxime vachier Lagrave, uh, uh, Jan Krzysztof Duda, and uh, Ali Reza Faruja all tied for first after a topsy turvy tournament with uh, lots of people taking the lead at different points. Um, But again, the the format was such that Faruja couldn't even be in the tiebreak and MVL and Duda played for the title um, and MVL won. So shout out to Maxime, huge, huge crown. Um, for, for him to take down. Now, in these cases where there's a tie, all get the same prize money. So those three all got $50,000 in that case. So, I mean, of course, winning the title is nice, but the, I'm sure the cash doesn't hurt either. So there is that to consider. And then in the Women's Blitz, uh, 17-year-old Kazakh IM, Bibisara Asubayeva, just... Ran roughshod through the field. Super impressive results. She clinched with a few rounds to go. And she actually finished second in the Rapid as well. So she won something like $70,000 total as a 17-year-old um, and ju- from Kazakhstan. And just, just an amazing result. But, yeah, unfortunately, I feel like it's going to be a bit overshadowed by the results by... Both the COVID story, we should mention Hikaru Nakamura was one and a half points out of the lead and unfortunately in the blitz and unfortunately tested positive for COVID going into the last day. So he ended up dropping out of the tournament. He handled it grac- graciously on social media, but um, there, the last day was delayed. It was unclear if they were even going to go on. There are a couple other likely COVID cases where games were forfeited and none of them were at the top boards, but obviously best wishes to hikaru and anyone else impacted by this even nepomniachi who again is often quiet was was critical of the organization so as you say christoph it's tough though because they they tried to rescue the event Mm -hmm. you know this pandemic's been dragging on for you know years now um so it's you know they didn't. They didn't do these things on purpose. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Certainly, the testing issue and the transportation issues, which I didn't even mention, uh, yep. players had to wait for more than an hour sometimes to get like a shuttle bus to the venue. So there was a lot that could have been done better, but it was also extremely ex- extenuating circumstances. Um, I, I think there are certainly cases where you. Um,
2: I mean, sometimes things are not done well that could have been planned like years in advance, and then I think criticism is very much warranted. Um, in this case, I mean, it's kind of clear that something would not work right because it was such a short notice thing. But um, I don't, I don't really understand then some things. Also, if you looked at the video, did you watch some of the live broadcasts? I watched some, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had those um, camera views of the players not while playing, like when there was a break between the rounds or something. I mean, Didn't they have, um, what is the English word, mask mandate that you have to wear it? Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, And
2: and it didn't happen simply. I mean, it was uh, some were, for example, I I saw that Magnus was wearing it all the time and and many others too. But There were lots of like incorrect mask wearing and nothing like, and they didn't enforce that, it seemed, Um, which felt odd to me. Either you have that regulation or you have not I mean you should I mean clearly you shouldn't uh, I don't know Yeah, call the police and make a huge scene or something but it was not enforced at all I think and um, I, I mean given the situation um, you kind of have to I mean if you want to make this kind of event we can only hope that um, the, the case count is not getting too high and everybody is um, yeah, handling it well health wise yeah that nothing bad is going to happen I mean you can. The thing is, you can do all kinds of precautions, and it can still hit you. But if you don't even do the precautions properly, hmm, yeah, that's um, a little bit. Yeah.
0: Off. Yeah, very well said. The the mask mandate, like for whatever the logistical issues with transportation and even testing, I can understand, you know, the new venue was lined up something like 10 days before the event. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can understand some some issues there. But mask mandate, that's that's low hanging fruit. And, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need you don't need layers of bureaucracy in order to to enact something like that you don't need to you can just make that happen and certainly um again i hope it doesn't become like uh, a bigger issue i hope that more uh more positive tests don't pop up but Mm. but the COVID stuff i mean it's depressing and i'm sympathetic overall i mean they're trying to put on this event to entertain chess fans to give professionals a chance to support themselves so uh yeah, I'm I'm sympathetic to that. And then the other big story, of course, Christoph, is the tiebreak issue, which um, just for some background for listeners, um, basically, when there's a big tie or a small tie for a certain place, there's clearly no perfect way to settle it. I mean, if two people tie for first place, you can argue pretty convincingly, in my opinion, for a faster playoff or some sort of playoff to try to have a champion. But it's hard to plan in advance because there can be bigger ties. And in this case for both the, uh, mm-hmm. open world blitz and open world rapid, we had three way ties for first. And it turns out that the, the laws that they had in place that anyone could have known in advance were that the two with the best mathematical tie breaks, which is based mm-hmm. on the Buchholz system based on the, the strength of your opposition, uh, how they performed, um, it's uh those two get to play. So mm-hmm. uh Magnus was quite vocal complaining when it turned out he was in third. Now he's actually complained about Tyrix even when it adversely affected his opponents, as Ben Feingold pointed out on Twitter. So yep. it's not totally self-serving to complain, but I mean a lot of people did mention you could have brought this up before the match. And then the same thing happened in the Blitz with Ali Reza Farouja, uh, who didn't complain uh himself, but obviously being the young phenom that he is, a lot of people would have liked to have seen him in the playoffs. So that's one that I was disappointed in. And I'm always an advocate of, um, of more over the board tie breaks, even at faster time controls. But I don't know. I feel like there was enough complaining where, where they'll get that right next time. What do you think? Yeah, probably.
2: I mean, the only thing that I want to say is um, because I don't think it's discussed often and I feel it would be a perfect solution to the whole thing is just get rid of Swiss system. It's easy. You, you just make a knockout tournament from the very beginning for those kind of things. And, for example, you you play out um, as a knockout, let's say, for the first eight places. You could do that, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe just the first four. Let's do it like that. You have a play playoff or, or you have a, a match for third place, right? And everybody else who go, who's get knocked out before gets to enter a Swiss system event. That's possible. So that nobody has to, like, play two games and go home, right? Like, like it happens in the World Cup. That, that I think wouldn't make any sense. Like have people travel for two rapid games all over the globe. But if those people could enter, let's say, a Swiss system, like the losers, right? They could play for places nine to something. And I'm, I think between place nine and, or, or let's say place five, it doesn't matter, then you can use some kind of tie-break system. I mean, this is more or less designed to give professionals money. It's not about – they don't care if they are fifth or ninth in the World Championships. It doesn't care. They want the money. So, But it's important for titles because the players competing for the first, fourth, they are there for the laurels, not for the money. I mean, Magnus doesn't need the first-place money. He wants to be world champion. But why don't they do it in a knockout? It's a simple solution, and that's it.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, Maurice Ashley here in the United States was running these tournaments called Millionaire Chess for for several years. I
2: didn't actually know that this was organized in that way. But somebody, I, I suggested what I just mentioned. I suggested that on Twitter yesterday or the day before, I don't know. And somebody said that Maurice did it this way. And in my mind, it's for such an event, it's a perfect format because you have knockout, it's just very attractive, it's very easy to explain to people what's going on. I mean, we have to say we are in our chess bubble. Let's just assume somebody watches that and at the end of those two tournaments, they recognize, okay, there are three people with the same points. So what happens then? You cannot explain that to somebody outside of chess it's really weird. It's a really weird thing to explain. And in some cases, when you look at Buchholz, yeah, you sometimes have cases where like one Buchholz is like extremely much lower, then you could really make a point that this guy has played much, much weaker opposition somehow, right? But if it's like half a point or something, I mean, what is that? It's just random.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm? Um, yeah, Kostya had tweeted in quotes, no way to decide a winner via playoffs says only sport which uses mathemat- mathematical tie breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just totally not intuitive. And of course, no system is 100% perfect, like the system you're alluding to, where suppose they stop after 12 rounds in the top eight players. And it's going to be a 15-round tournament, but then the top eight players have mini-matches and the rest just continues with a Swiss system. Now, someone might say, what if there's a first through 10th place tie? You know, um, y- that could happen for sure. You could put provisions in where if you're tied for first after the eight rounds, maybe you do a playoff to the playoff. Right, and, and- I think, sorry, sorry, Ben. Uh,
2: I, I, want to, I, w- I want to play a knockout from the very first round. Oh, ah, okay. Like 128 people, for example. But those who get knocked out, they enter a Swiss uh, Swiss event.
0: Okay. Because certain- what Maurice did, what Maurice did was the fo- the top X after X uh, number of two. rounds, and that, that's different. Then switch to a knockout format. Uh, so, um, so
2: what I want to do is basically make sure that people who get knocked out, that they don't have to go home, but rather they can continue to play for the whole time, and they can still stand- still win stuff. But that the whole um, process of determining who wins the event and the medals, that this is done purely through knockout.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I love the drama of knockouts. I mean, that's that's another reason, as I've mentioned in the past, that the mm-hmm. FIDE World Cup is always one of my favorites. So, um, yeah, I think something involving knockout would be good. And but, Or the bottom line is, no system's going to be perfect, but you can make a uh, contingency and you can use some tie breaks. You can favor some people with higher tie breaks, but at least let everyone play who's uh, tied for first. Um, you know, yeah. they, they saw, as Greg Shahadi has has uh, floated a few ideas on Twitter of, like, maybe you use tie breaks where the person with the higher t- tie breaks, like, if there's a three-way tie, um, maybe two and three in tiebreak have to play each other to play the first place in tiebreaks. Now that's not totally fair, obviously, but it's better than just um, at least the the person in third got to play. You know, at least they yeah. control controlled their own destiny. But I agree with you that some sort of knockout would would be even better. Um, yeah, it's a, I think
2: one one general issue that people have is that. Whenever you do knockout, you, you get to this phase where you have to like shorten the time control more and more to, to get a decision, right? And then you have more of this happening that you decide a certain time format that you played originally, but you have to decide it with something faster. Like like we are playing a rapid tournament, we cannot have so much bleach or whatnot, you know. This is the thing. This is the same thing that people always say about the world championship being decided in rapid that this shouldn't happen. And this is kind of a purist attitude that many people have. But if you want to decide it over the board, I really don't see a huge alternative to doing that in case of like mini matches getting drawn all the time. Then you have to shorten the time control. And then somewhat, unfortunately, I'm not a fan of Armageddon, but what else? I mean, I don't see it. So probably we have to do that. I mean in in in, in if you are in America it's called soccer in German we said fu- fu- fußball football yeah we have those penalty kicks like for 50 years and nobody's enthusiastic about it but it's very thrilling.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um I mean they did have MVL and Duda, they did have the tweak where it was never going to go to Armageddon. Mm-hmm. It was going to it was going to be um they right after the they had a two game mini match and if that's tied they just start playing they rotate color and they start playing three minute and the first person who wins a game wins the match um i think that in, in that case since it's a blitz tournament to begin with mm-hmm. someone will win sooner or later like it shouldn't be yeah. like it won't be more than 10 games most likely um and, you know more likely than not a lot less than that so i like that system but that only really works for blitz like there there comes a point You know, if it's like a classical tournament, if they're just playing three, like three minute it, you know, it's, it could get repetitive, but anyway, I mean, yeah, again, no system is going to be perfect, but I was actually heartened in that. I mean, not that uh, my opinion is not super important, but as a fan, I'm always rooting for, (laughs) for what I find the most entertaining and what I consider to be the best for chess. And I feel like more than ever, there's, um, there's a consensus emerging about uh ties being settled over the board you still see some people online push back against it but i feel like it's less than it's ever been and of course what you allude to in the world championship of uh of rapid tie breaks you know when i recently interviewed Grandmaster jacob he's still against any form any faster form of chess to settle a classical world championship and I understand that and but to me it's like for now that's a separate conversation for now let's just we're not getting anywhere
2: it's like yeah that's we're really not getting anywhere um in that particular case like deciding uh, let's not go there
0: yeah exactly (laughs) i feel like and and again it's 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 a bit of a bummer when when you end up getting sidetracked by COVID issues and tiebreak issues and all this stuff. Cause it takes away from the performance of the players. So before we leave this subject, uh, Christoph, w- did you get a chance to play through any of, uh, games? And do you have a sense for he in particular, I feel like, uh, changed the trajectory of his career potentially, or at least, uh, raised awareness. I mean, he won Sunway Citrus Open just weeks yes. before that. And yes. he had this like preternatural cool in his interviews. I mean, even after he won the Rapid, he was immediately like, let's see what I can do in the Blitz. Now it turns out he had um not not the same level of performance in the Blitz, but I was am- I was super impressed by him. What did what did you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. He had this kind of uh yeah. What What is the right expression there? Like, like, like it was the most normal thing in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. He kind of expected great things to happen, and and they happened <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Right?
0: Amazing. It was and a fantastic
2: yeah. performance. I mean, I think um, like in, in those, okay, that was rapid and not blitz, but I think there's some truth to that. That in faster time controls, this kind of once you run hot, you can really hot, right? Everything works somehow. Yeah. And then he had this. I think the game against Magnus was, of course, key uh, that he won. Um, If that, I mean, Magnus could have drawn relatively easily, but uh, he had this, I mean, we all know, eh, he loses games in two ways. uh, Like he's making something stupid in the opening, like once in a blue moon, then he loses games, and he loses games when he tries too hard to win. There are those two common scenarios, and he tried really too hard to win against, um, I have a problem there, up to Zatoro,
0: yeah? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, um, it's, uh, I've got. I've got to rehearse that one too. But yeah, some, something along.
2: Yeah, I have the additional problem like with English. Like I, I can do it in German, but like, okay. Anyway, that <laughs> was a super <laughs> impressive game. Eh, that that he kind of held everything together against Magnus because he was worse at some point, quite clearly. Oh yeah, and and he defended that very very carefully, and then at the end uh he was. I mean, imagine sitting there, right? You you have to be super nervous, and you just did that in a fantastically. Uh, controlled manner. Yeah, that was really impressive.
0: Yeah, I was. I was super impressed too. And as you say, Magnus did overpress, and it was the rare moment where it wasn't even tactically justified. Magnus was already in first place, so it was yes. like a mom- momentary lapse of judgment that that really uh, probably cost him a lot. But. I definitely recommend listeners either look for a recap of that game or better yet, if you are willing to, you know, they, uh, chess 24 always post the, uh, the full game replays on YouTube and with blitz tournaments in particular, you know, it's 10 minutes to watch the whole game and yeah, it's always fun when you can see the participants feel the tension that that is why I love these tournaments. Although this one again was marred and one other small technical issue. I saw a few people mention online, sometimes the, uh, the, the DGT boards weren't working for whatever reason, more so than others. The, the boards that are supposed to automatically translate the moves more often than not, like, uh, I mean, more often than usual, uh, Jan Gustafson and Peter Laco, who did an amazing job uh, on the, on the coverage I was watching, but they weren't getting the feed in time or there were mistransmissions. So hopefully that can be ironed out too, because the drama of live blitz is, is amazing. And I, I, I just want I want this event to, to showcase that. Yeah.
2: I mean, this is probably something that I don't know the details, obviously, but I have been involved with live broadcasts before when I was on site for some tournaments. And I know that setting up all the DGT boards correctly can be nightmarish, really a difficult thing. Um, I've been to German youth championships a lot, and um, it ultimately always worked, but they're always are some issues yeah like uh, some kind of unplanned delay of moves they are like some seconds too late a minute too late whatnot and it's incredibly complex or it can be incredibly complex in particular if you think that they, like 20 days before the event didn't even know it happened right so yeah. you, you don't quite know yeah what what was the reason there. probably it, it won't happen if you have more time to plan this ahead and, I mean, it's a great event. I, I always wanted to play. Huh? I mean, you, I would probably lose, like, every game, but <laughs> it's one of those events that I really would like to play. But um, Yeah,
0: I love that players who are not, like, top 50 in the world get to play, you know, that, mm-hmm. like Alshon uh, Moriarty-Badi and, you know, um, so many grandmasters who are often amongst the top players in their country but not in the top 50 in the world. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's, you, you like, you have to scroll down so far to see these amazing players. So it's like, sometimes you can even forget that they're, you're there, but if you later go back and look through it and like, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his first name. I struggle in particular with Polish names. So I apologize to any Polish listeners, but, uh, Bartosz Sako, who had, who briefly was on the top in the blitz. And I know he's known as like a blitz monster, um, and obviously a strong grandmaster, but not like a household name, but like he had his moment where he was at the top, you know, and you, 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 and played Magnus and he won, I think. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, the tournaments
2: were fantastically strong. There were some extremely strong players that you never saw at the top boards. Like, uh, I mean, have you seen Fabiano, for example, maybe like, and, and he's, he's strong, obviously. Right. And he wasn't even there the top boards and also they, they had all the Indian talents playing like uh, Nihal and Pragananda and so on. And you also didn't see them and they are fantastically strong in blitz and rapid. So
0: yeah. And like Andrew, Andrew Tang, of course, you know, well-known here in the U S great Twitch streamer and bullet wizard. I had known he played, you know, I've met him in person and interviewed him. So I know him a tiny bit and I'd known he played in the prior one and I didn't see his name in the rapid and in the blitz. I, I, uh, yeah, but I didn't check the whole cross table to be clear. And in the blitz, I only noticed him in like the eighth round. I was like, Oh, he's here, you know, but, yeah. but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a minefield. So if you don't get near the top or if you don't get paired against Magnus or something, you know, you could yeah. go unnoticed. Yeah. Um, but, but Christoph, we got, we got a lot more topics to get yeah. to. Um, so uh, we're going to take a quick break and then I'd like to come back and talk about openings and specifically keeping it simple with black. Listen up, listeners. As you probably know, we are proud to be sponsored in part by Chessable.com, longtime friends and sponsors of the pod. Just wanted to make sure you knew that Christoph Zelecki's course, Keep It Simple Black, is on sale at the time of release of this podcast. You can always check out the short and sweet version for free. And if you like what you see and you act quickly, you can get his course uh, at a discount. Obviously, Chessable is a sponsor. But as you've heard me say, I'm a genuine fan of uh, Christoph's always thorough yet understanding work, so please be sure to go to chessable.com and check out christoph's course as well as all of their opening middle game and end game related offerings which feature spaced repetition to help you remember all this stuff all right back to the show soon lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office
0: And we are back. So, Christoph, we're about a week a week after release of uh, your latest course. I know you put uh, sometimes like more than a year of work into it. Uh, so, what was your process for Keep It Simple Black? How long has this been uh, been um, something you've been working on? Um, let me think about that. Um, about half a year, I think. The, I
2: had a release before in uh, in April. That was um, lifetime repertoire on the Pilz defense. That was an interesting project as well, because it was not one of my core openings at all. I've played it now a lot in my Blitz games, Um, but that was the project up to April, May. And then I switched to to the new project that was released on December 27. Yeah. Keeping it simple for black. And it was um, something that was on my mind quite clearly for quite a, quite a bit of time because there are the two white courses for, for E4 and D4. And it's quite clear that many, uh yeah, many, um, students of the first courses wanted something for black in the same style. So it was clear that at one point it will happen. And, um, yeah, I decided, um, like some months ago, yeah, let's do it now. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with the result and the reception that the course got. Like after some days, people seem to be very happy with it. I think you also had a brief look at you don't. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I've checked it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super impressed. I wasn't sure going in before I before I, I got a chance to check it out. I wasn't sure if you were going to do like, you know, Lawrence Trent is out with a B6 against everything course. Of course, uh, Friend of the Pod, Vekoslav Niemic has a G6 course, which you could play against everything. So I wasn't sure if you were going to, pick something a little more gimmicky, you know, where like, it's the same move no matter what your opponent does, but no, you give real openings. I mean, it's the Caro Kann and the queen's gambit declined. And mm-hmm. then you have lines against the, uh, the, you know, one night F three stuff and the English and which you can play the queen's gambit decline. So it's real openings, but with a sort of, um, you know, minimalist approach to the extent that it's possible. Um, mm-hmm. But, but, so how did you, how did you pick the openings, Kristoff? yeah
2: um it's a mix right i mean you have to if you you do a full repertoire for black you have to have to fill um in two boxes first one is against e4 the second one is the rest because everything that's not e4 is in my mind kind of the same thing like i don't really make a huge difference between d4 c4 knight f3 um because it's so hugely transpositional so you have one kind of concept against all three. In some cases, if you have a very specific answer to D4, I know you play the modern Benoni, right? Or you did at least. I
0: have, yeah. Yeah.
2: Like if you play the modern Benoni, clearly you need a specific solution for C4 and 9F3 because, yeah, you cannot go into Benoni, right? So you have to do something special. But if you do any sort of D5 against D4, you have kind of a pre-built recipe for the rest because you can kind of offer a transposition to queen's gambits. And if they don't do it, you have a fairly easy solution, right? You only have to think about, let's say, C4, you play 1E6 and you play D5 next. The only thing you have to look at is white avoiding D4, which is certainly an opening, but it's not a huge thing to study. So you have to do the decisions first for those two things. What against D4, what against E4. And against D4, I was thinking about Queen's Gambit declined very almost immediately because you can um easily construct the rest of the repertoire then, like what to do against C4 and IDA3. It's much easier, um, for example, to do that than do a NIMSO Indian, Queens Indian combination, for example, because then you need something specific against the rest. And generally speaking, White has more choice. I mean, if you play any opening that is not D4, D5, you give white a little bit more leeway. It's not a negative thing, just like they have more variety. And if you want to keep it a little bit simpler, you almost have to do D4, D5 in my mind. If you want to do high quality, like tier A openings, if you want to do tier B, tier C openings, you can obviously recommend anything. But if you want to do high level, like high quality, you, you have to go d5. That's kind of a given. And against e4, it's more difficult. I originally, I had files already for e4 e5, like do it very classically. But the problem there is simple: um, is simply um, I was fr- from the get go, I wanted to go below clearly below five hundred trainable variations in chessable That was the goal. And I started out with an e4 e5 framework. And there's too much. There are just too many possibilities that White can play that are kind of necessary to talk about. Not that some of them are great, but if you're just like from the, like you can easily like Danish Gambit and whatever Danish Gambit, Evans Gambit, the center game, there are tons of Italians. There are, there are a million wacky lines also that, that can be played like, I mean nowadays you have all those meme openings, yeah. The Jerome Gambit, the Halloween mm. gambit, the uh, whatnot, yeah, probably some some I don't even know. Yeah. And it's ta- it's a ton. It's just enormous. And I felt like this is exploding because you don't have to deal with the like the nonsense openings, but also with the real ones. Yeah, like you know, in the Ruy Lopez, the Italian, the Scotch, and so on. And I felt that's exploding. And when I thought about alternatives, um, i was thinking about what about the caro is that something and then i then i immediately saw that this is fairly fairly straightforward actually there's not much in terms of gambits that white can play something that is like tricky and i and my main concern was when i was starting with the caro kan uh, in my mind that i wouldn't be able to bring something substantially new to the table because there's already a very good Karo Khan course on chessable by Erwin Lamy. He's a lifetime, he's got a lifetime repertoire in the Caro. but I studied that and I was very um, pleasantly surprised to see that you can actually give some different lines within that framework. So I'm not really, let's say copying what he's giving, but I, I play the same lines like from the label, but I very quickly deviate with other ideas. So I always want to bring something new to the table. And when I saw that this is possible, I went for the Caro immediately. And I, I quickly found out that it works very well in that framework of getting below at the end, it's even below 400 trainable. So I think that was essential to do it. And another thing that's interesting, if you think about openings in a very, like it's a, like a meta perspective, like a very high level perspective, the Karo can, and the queen's gambit declined are sort of related because you have the same concept, like you play D5, but you have to support it with a pawn. And the, the natural relation is actually the queen's gambit declined and the Caro, and not the Karo Khan and the Slav, which you would think, because you have this built in non-symmetry in both. Like you see that in the exchange variations. If you think about the Karo Khan, E4, C6, D4, D5 and white trades, or in the Queen's Gambit Decline, if Y trades, you get the same structure, the cards bit, but with, with reversed roles, let's say. But it shows that there's the same DNA between both openings, in a way. And you see that there are even some one-to-one transpositions, which is kind of fascinating. So I have one line in the Queen's Gambit Decline that transposes into karo Panof, like one-to-one. And that is also uh, saving um, quite a bit of memory work. So I was very, um, very happy with discovering how nicely that fits together. And once you have done those two decisions, everything is kind of, yeah, more or less craftsmanship. Yeah, you have to like <laughs> sit, sit there and put everything together. Like, but the main decision was was done relatively quickly on my holiday, my summer holiday.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And then I wrote uh, the whole thing the next uh, <laughs> or the following month.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, as as I talked about with um, with Erwin Lemi, as was evident in the World Championship. I mean, Black is holding so strong in in so many lines that yeah. even if, as you did, you go for like slightly less popular lines in in the Queen's Gambit Declined, or you yeah. know you recommend C five against the Advanced Caro, which the Advanced Caro probably being the most topical. And you know that's a way, as you yeah. mentioned, that you differentiate from Grandmaster Erwin Lemie's course, but again uh with modern engines and with chess being a draw like you you kind of uh, it's kind of like um it, it's probably not as challenging as it used to be to to come up with solid uh repertoires for black even that are a, a tiny bit off the beaten path yeah i think the the main
2: goal is um for an author is not i mean let, let's do it a different way um it depends a little bit on on what you want if you really want like like tier a quality then you have a good choice of things to do or a good thing a good choice of openings to to pick from um but your job is to kind of fit it into the concept like this one was the like do it in a somewhat minimalist way that you can learn it um without spending like month that that was the main goal like make it Usable in a way. I think this is more of the challenge than like picking something because there are many good good things that you can play, of course. And it's a different challenge too. Let's say um, when I was um, doing the, the the course before on the Pils defense, the challenge is more like make it playable. It's not like right. uh, presented. Right? I mean, play, make it playable is a bit strong, but you know you have to really fight for. Equal chances there, but um, if you like, once you have, I sometimes make that joke like, once black manages on the first move against d4 to play d5, and uh, most of the problems have been solved already, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, um, tongue in cheek, but not not entirely wrong,
0: yeah. And there's a keep it simple version, is that is that correct? Available, Christoph? I mean, uh, a quick, uh, short and sweet. Yeah, short and sweet. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there, there are two actually. We have a we have
2: a split that. So there's a short and sweet on the Karokan part of it. Like I think it's nine or ten lines. I'm not quite sure. I think it's around ten, um, like ten lines to learn the Karokan, like the, the the basic lines, the most important things. And then we have roughly ten lines um, for. It's called short and sweet queen's gambit decline, but it also covers c4 and knight f3. So it's kind of everything else in a way but it's called Queen's Gambit declined short and sweet
0: great and for listeners as i've mentioned in the past short and sweet means free and it, yeah. it's often i mean it's a lot of quality material that you can try out for free and decide yeah. you know how, how yeah. useful
2: and the combination of both courses um we, we split it because the, i did it um at first it was one but it was like a Two hour, 40 minutes video, or something, and we felt it is too long. And then I did the whole thing again in, in a split. So we split it to so make it more easier to consume. And some people might only want one, right? It could can happen, which is also an advantage, by the way, of the keep it simple for black as I wrote it. Um, you can also use just part of it if you like. So, right, if you if you do, um, kind of uh, let's say play one e6 against everything approach nothing wrong about it but if you want to adopt d4 e6 because you like that in the d4 sense you still have to play the french if they play e4 so it's a you have to learn everything but if you are just interested in a lean repertoire against e4 or in a lean one against d4 you can also get my course because you can just use half of it if you like and and with the other half you can check it out if you like it, and if you do, that's great. If not, you can just use it. Yeah? So it was also yeah. a reason for picking, like as you said, um, like a non-uniform approach, like right.
0: And one question I had, Christoph, because as I've mentioned, I'm I'm a fan of of your work, and I um I have and often one of the two courses of yours that I use the most is the uh, the Nimzo Rogozin mm-hmm. Lifetime Repertoire with uh, FM Daniel Barish. And of course, you have different lines against stuff like the Catalan and the London and those. And mm-hmm. then when you come to this course, you propose entirely different systems. So I was curious how you come to a decision. Is it like, is it that you feel by design you shouldn't Offer the same line, or is it that you found something better, or is it a structural thing in terms of fitting with the overall course? Yeah. How do you decide when you offer something different when it's against the same system? Yeah,
2: I, I generally like to bring something new to the table. As I as I said before, I, if possible, I'd like to suggest something new, um, unless it's clearly the best solution that we had before. In some cases, I just give the same, exactly the same line. But in some cases, I'm suggesting something different. Some of the reasons are quite sophisticated um, because they make sense in a repertoire point of view, which is against everything. In the case of the in, in the case of the nimzo course, it is mostly a course against one d4, even though we have some pointers against one knight 3 and c4. There are some pointers in the course, but it's very it's very short. It's just like to get you started. Um, but not give you a full repertoire. And I'm giving now in the new one a full repertoire. And in the case, for example, of my uh, suggestion against the Catalan, um, I'm giving exactly this line because you can use this line also as, um, let's say, this is the base for what you play against one knight F3. Because you have to offer a transposition to the Catalan and you, you need to play exactly that line of the Catalan to yeah, to actually s- propose this transposition. So it makes sense in, as a full repertoire uh, to, to do it like that. In the um, nimso uh, rogosian course, if you have against the Catalan, the bishop before check line, and that can only be played in, in the pure 1d4 move order and not against knight f3 and not against c4, which the, the new thing can. So, or the other thing can, the the main part, however, is I want to uh, suggest something new. I don't like to, let's say, um, um, copy my own stuff <laughs> that I once did. Yeah. Unless it's clearly like a refutation then you don't have to reinvent the wheel, um, of course, but if you can do something else that makes sense, I, I usually go for the something else.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah, it's always, always nice to have choices, um, uh, in these cases. Now, Christoph, my last question, and maybe you don't have anything to add, because in my, in my recent conversations with uh, Grandmaster Erwin Lemi and uh, Grandmaster Matthew Sadler, we talked a lot about engines. but And I know we talked a bit about it in our last interview, but is there anything that's changed in terms of l- your, your course-making approach in terms of uh, how you select moves and how you, you utilize engines to make these courses?
2: There has been one change um, in the... Um, let, let me think about that for a moment because I don't want to, to be imprecise there. Um, until 2020, um, up to the point... At some point, they released they released uh, Stockfish with that um, neural network evaluation function, the NNUE. When they came up with that, um, I entirely switched to this Stockfish version and I don't use Lila all that often anymore. I used Lila and Stockfish like as a, like a two partner engines, let's say, and like a compared <laughs> what, what both engines were saying. But um, I recognize that it gets so good now just with the NNUE that I didn't bother that much anymore to use Lila. I only used it, uh, very specifically in some positions where I felt, okay, I'd like to have a second opinion, so to say, but that was very rare. So it's uh, like 95% stockfish NNUE, what I what okay. I did for the course. Just to make it a little bit more, yeah, a, a bit more streamlined, this process. I felt like in, in most cases, Lila was just giving the same moves anyway, as the difference was relatively minor. I didn't feel I had to... Um, have its opinion all the time it's also a bit bit um, of a matter of how many um, how much money you want to invest because um you know the graphic cards are extremely expensive if you want to do it at your local at your home uh, computer um and if you want to rent um a cloud which i usually did for these things it's also um a matter of what it costs and as i said I, i i used it But Lila was mostly giving the same moves. I didn't really see a difference so much. So I only switched it on for some positions. And even then, it didn't really make a difference.
0: Yeah. When Erwin Lemmy had mentioned that the cloud rental is expensive, at least by non-professional standards, that piqued my curiosity. So I I looked on Justify. It looked like it was... um, about a hundred bucks a month if you wanted to yep. rent something high powered. Is is that is that sort of the price point that you were looking at, Christoph, when you were considering it? They
2: they I think they actually um, have made it a bit cheaper. They have some good uh, good offers right now, I think, and I actually considered to uh, to check this out again in particular. Um, I I what I wanted to do originally this year, I got a um, a new um, computer at home, and it's um, it's absolutely capable from a CPU perspective, but uh, I couldn't get a good GPU for below 1500 euros, which is like $1,700 or something. And honestly, I was a bit too cheap for that. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. In particular, my experience was that I was not using it that often. The the Lila opinion, so to say, Um, it's maybe a matter of what you need. I think maybe if you talk about, world championship level um preparation maybe you need it i I don't know but for my purposes it was uh, was fine
0: yeah there comes a point where whether it's 3400 or 3600 elo it's gonna gonna be um gonna be efficient gonna be helpful for a club player um either way um yeah and again i i I was more like i'm i i'm not renting testify either i was more just curious but just curious generally um what what the, the market price? I, I would think that, for I it. think
2: the, they have a good offer, right? I mean, uh, I was using the cloud a lot before. Um, I was getting my new computer, and my yearly costs were uh, were quite a lot higher than than what you just uh, mentioned. So
0: okay, I interesting. Think, um,
2: they've gotten. I mean, I didn't. I think they have more of a not a flat rate, but they have. Um, yeah, components there that make it a little bit cheaper if you use it more. I mean, what I did was probably not very, not very well scaled <laughs> from my point of view. Maybe I couldn't have gotten it cheaper if I was more clever selecting Whatever right. certain plans or something like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I also maybe maybe mischaracterizing because, as you mentioned, they have different pricing plans. And being that I'm not actually going to get it, I'm not sure which one would actually be the what was needed by by a professional second hmm. or elite player. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sorry, they they clearly use something far more uh, powerful. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. Well, Christoph, we're going to take another break and then we're going to get back. And I understand you've got some stories to tell about working with Team Magnus. So we're going to – we'll be right back to hear those. Listeners, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is I'm still stuck at being behind on the clock in 77% of my Blitz games – neither getting better nor worse, just spinning my wheels endlessly. The good news is, unlike me, AimChess has managed to improve its product even more. They've totally redesigned the interface of AimChess.com. They've added the ability to use AimChess even if you don't have a linked account on Chess.com, Leechess, or Chess24. They've expanded payment options to include Google Pay and Apple Pay. So doing everything they can to make AimChess even more User friendly and fun, accessible and educational. So, if you haven't already, be sure to check out aimchest.com and, as always, use the code perpetual30 to receive a 30% discount if you decide to subscribe.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: And we are back. And it's been so long since we've caught up, Christoph, that you actually, unbeknownst to me and pro- probably to a lot of listeners, you also had a hand in uh, Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen's uh, Endgame course, it turns out. So what, what could you tell us about that, Christoph? Yeah, it's a, it's a end game, an
2: Endgame and middle game course. Uh, it's a two-part course that was released, um, I think it was May or June of 2020, like middle of the year, something like that. And it was it was a very uh, thrilling experience, and so far, probably highlight of my professional chess career. Um, and as it often happens with with the most interesting things that 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 happen, uh, it happened without any planning beforehand. Um, it was it was funny. I was um, visiting the Tata Steel Tournament in Valkansee in early 2020, which was to put it in perspective like before pandemic so we were just like i was there for some days to visit the tournament and meet some um yeah chessable friends yeah we had some like uh, john Bartholomew was there and so it was really nice to meet meet all the guys and um it was it was funny i was staying at a like a rental um apartment and uh, it was in in the morning one day when i got a call from uh, yeah who is now the the CEO of Chesable, like Gerd van der Velde, and he called me like, Are you ready to have lunch with Henry Carlsen? Magnus's dad? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, for sure. When? Yeah, like in an hour. Okay. So I was like, okay, showering and stuff and <laughs> going going to the hotel. I had no clue what it was about. And it was very nice. We had a lunch there with um yeah Chesable kind of management and and uh, yeah Magnus's dad was there. And uh, it was interesting. They they planned to make a course where Magnus um, should do the presenting, like the video part of it. And um, it was about presenting like his best middle games, end games, most instructive moments from his games. And they were looking for somebody who would work with Team Magnus who knows the chessable platform well and could do, um, yeah, like the technical side of things and help with, uh, in a way, a little bit like the legwork, like doing the doing the the bulk of the work, right? Who, who knows the platform? And I think I was lucky to be there in a way, uh, and um, it um, it worked out the way that I was um, in a steady contact then with Peter Heine Nielsen, who did the work from Magnus's team's uh, side, and we were um, yeah exchanging um, yeah files and ideas what Magnus could present, like compile them. A bit of a best off and a bit show like his career progressed. We had some early examples from his career, like showcasing how he played like with, with 12 years, 13 years, 15 years. It was very strong, obviously at the time already. And then also some recent games. So we had a nice compilation there. And um, at the end it was a work of like roughly two months compiling all the material. We, we uh, also exchanged, um, analysis like peter Heine did something and i i wrote some text and it was back and forth i mean all like via skype zoom whatever we used that uh, was um I mean, we never met personally we, we did all this <laughs> um like with um yeah for what for what we do nowadays uh, with those tools and um it was completed i think um the script in march 2020 and it was actually very tense because um Magnus was doing the filming in Oslo near his home home place and Chesubel um yeah constructed they they rented an apartment close to his place and um yeah they uh, had the mobile studio with them and did the recording so John Bartholomew flew to Oslo and he recorded the videos together with Magnus and they used my script script basically not like like reading it out but like It was um, the outline, what games to check. And we we did, like, I think, let's say 20, and Magnus at the end presented maybe 12. Like, he could pick whatever he wanted, what he felt most comfortable with or what he liked to present. And, um, yeah, so it it was really, really tough because we knew we only had this time frame. Like, he had these three or four days to record, and everything had to be ready up to that point and uh, even during the recording i did changes for the next day so it was kind of intense like working overnight and get this get this ready um and what was um, very uh, tough um if you remember that was like the first week in march that was when when the first first covid wave had hit really hard and it was very tense because um, they did the final day of the recording of the videos. And then I got a text message from John Bartholomew in the middle of the night. Okay, guys, I'm going to the airport now. Other, otherwise, yeah. I might not get back. And it was all of a sudden, I think at the time, it was still Donald Trump being president. He said, like, we're cutting uh, the, 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 the flight flights now or something like that. And John was really packing in the middle of the night and going back. It was really... A uh, cr- crazy story, but at the time everything was recorded, which was third f- fortunate. Like if it would would have been like a week later or so, I don't know what would happened. I don't know. So, but they managed to complete it, and um, course I think was released in April, April or May, a little bit later.
0: And this was the one that became the Magnus Touch, is that right?
2: That's Magnus Touch exactly. Yeah? Those two courses, and um, I was doing a little bit more for that course. Even they, um, we had those those key um, games and positions that Magnus presented. And it also has, I'm not quite sure. I don't remember, close to 300 exercises, something like that. I mean, what I did is um, I looked through all of Magnus's games that I had, like 3,000 in my main database, and I selected exercises from his games. So um, this is also, I think, probably the reason Um, why I'm sometimes very firmly um, suggesting he's a favorite, let's say, in a match. (laughs) I I feel like I have seen so many fantastic games. If I would have done um, something similar, like look at every single game uh, for... um, maybe Napo or some other super strong GM, I would be maybe equally impressed yeah, because you often don't get so deep into, into, into a player. But if you really look, I've really looked at all the games. I mean, not in move by move, every move, like a minute, but I try to filter it for instructive moments. And it was a deeper look than just like very superficially looking at it. So um, I was very impressed. I mean, if you look at Magnus's Blitz games, you can easily find dozens of instructive moments. It's really interesting because he has a, it's probably, again, other top players too, but he has this fantastic pattern recognition that he just does often the, the, exactly the right things um, based on pure intuition. And these are often very instructive moments where it's just about like in this certain structure this piece belongs to this and that square. And then you you recognize patterns if you look at many of those games. So it was a very interesting experience to, to be so deep into a player's head in a way. I, f- I felt like if they do a preparation for a world championship match, they probably do something similar on a much deeper level, like look at all the games of the other guy and then really trying to find uh, find stuff. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I mean I, I have a lot of follows from that. Number one, it's amazing how many people like go into creating something like the Magnus Touch although it's certainly it, uh,
2: it, it's crazy. I mean, if yeah. you, like nowadays um there are so many people. I mean, you have also think about uh, when the videos are done, yeah, there are people who care about everything, a video, like the technology, the lighting and we probably have a mutual acquaintances who <laughs> were involved in that. Yeah. So right. it's, it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in terms of Magnus, so playing through all, all his games uh, in, in a short period of time, I mean, I, I've given you credit before for being one of the people who said you thought Magnus was an 80% favorite against Anepo Nepo correctly, but what else struck you? I mean, so you're impressed by his blitz games. Was there anything else that was um that you didn't expect that you noted when, when doing sort of a deep dive like that? oh
2: that's an interesting question i mean i was clearly uh, convinced that he was super strong before but um uh, it's, it's really tough to say i think probably his versatility that, that uh, i mean everybody has this cliche idea that he's winning all the end games and and grinding and so on which is definitely true he has those games but he can also play um dynamic positions extremely well i mean um we were doing this course um, in twenty early twenty twenty, and before I did this Vesnianko course, right when he, when when I was looking at all the Sicilians that he played, and like the Sicilian is playing in a very dynamic fashion, uh, often sacrificing pawns, and I mean, it's just a he's a very versatile player, and um, that was probably the, the most uh, striking thing. Even though for the course, I have to say we had two focuses we had one end game part and one like strategy middle game part, which had dynamic moments, but it wasn't so much about like tactical battles, more about some strategic decisions, um, decision-making. And it was a little bit more focused on that. So um, I found some great games that were like super entertaining, but they didn't fit in into that framework of the course.
0: Huh. Hopefully, a future Magnus course. Do you know if there are any uh, in the making?
2: Now I'm not aware, but I also wasn't aware about this one until I so, got called. Yeah, that's so really you, you
0: better show up to Tata Steel again. Then it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually uh, was thinking about going in in uh, in January in two weeks or three weeks, but they don't even allow spectators. Oh so,
0: right, yeah. I, I don't know. COVID.
2: Maybe there's some something, but I have we have to have to be. Um, I, I mean, I'm also um, personally um, quite cautious when it comes to to to, to the um, uh, pandemic. Everybody has their own health story, so I have to be a little bit cautious. I, I try. I tend to be more staying at home if I if I can.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And what about you, Christoph? I mean, uh, in our in our last interview, you'd mentioned that. You, you need some time to recover generally after you, you write a course because mm-hmm. uh, it's so time-consuming. Um, do, you, do you have a sense of what else you'll be working on in the coming
2: months? Yes, absolutely. I can, abs- I can even tell you what will be out. It's pretty clear, actually. You mentioned uh, Erwin Lamy. You had him on the podcast um, just very recently. Um, Erwin um, and, and I, we are doing
0: a project together, actually.
2: Did he mention that? I didn't listen yet. He probably didn't, right? Um, I believe.
0: I believe he said something. Can you refresh my memory? What the? What yeah, the project we are, we are is?
2: working on a course. that's a lifetime repertoire for black, based on the. Yes, he oh, did
0: the triangle slav. Yeah, the triangle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yes, we have put in some work uh, even last year, like basic framework. When we were like, when when you think about this, you make some core decisions, like what to go for, and we talked about that. I was saying last year because in my mind it's already 2022, but (laughs) I'm referring to 2021. So some months ago we were talking um, and uh, agreed that we would do the course, and we made some key decisions like what to do here, what to do there. And um, we are more or less set, um, and we we hope that it will be out maybe March, April, something like that. That's uh,
0: the general idea. That's great. Two, two great chessable authors. It's like a super band forming. Um, should, should be fun. Yeah, um, I, well,
2: what, what we are not sure about, maybe you have an idea there, um, because it would be, I think, the first chessable course that has two authors. Um, I mean, we were thinking about what to do with video. Would you think it would make any sense to do a presentation with both of us being on camera?
0: Sure. I mean, I think people would love that.
2: Yeah, I wondered wondered how that worked, you know, because it's a little bit odd. It's more of a, if you present an opening repertoire, it's not much of a dialogue, I think. I mean, in a middle game course, I think it makes a lot of sense. You you could kind of make this ask questions, the other guy answers. But in an opening, would that work? Would it make sense? I'm not sure about it.
0: Yeah, there'd probably be one person spectating a lot. But I'm sure you guys both know the material well enough where... You know, occasionally one could interject with the other. Yeah, but it is...
2: That's the interesting thing that we need to think about because we are not so far away um, in terms of where we live. So it could work. And, I mean, last year when we we were discussing that, um, we didn't quite know what would happen with the pandemic. Like in the summer, things looked pretty okay, and then it turned bad again. Um, Like travel restrictions and so on. We don't quite know. But uh we were thinking about maybe doing a sort of a dual presentation or um, we were thinking about like maybe split chapters. Some some person would present one chapter, the other I don't know. It would be interesting, but it's always the thing. Um you want to try new things and see um if you can make an improvement over um prior courses and this is something that was I think not tried yet for open. Yeah. I mean for middle games I think it makes a lot of sense or end games, but for openings, interesting question. We will see. But that is definitely a project. Um, other than that, I don't have something specific on the okay. list yet.
0: All right. Well, we'll look forward to that and whatever comes beyond. We do have one Patreon uh, supporter question before we let you go, Christoph. Uh, this is from Alex Friedman. Uh, shout out to Alex. Thanks for the question. And he says, um, it seems like many chess professionals are releasing chess opening courses these days. Personally, as an amateur player, I prefer the tactics and end game courses. Do you think that opening courses are an effective way for amateurs to study chess? And obviously, we <laughs> we know what your answer is going to be, but maybe you could speak more broadly about like sort of the role of memorization for, for amateur players in addition to, uh, to answering Alex's question?
2: Mm. Well, I, I think I have, I have some points there. I mean, one is I generally believe you should, if you are not a chess professional, and more of you play chess for having fun, but you are kind of serious about it because you do training in the first place. I mean, now you have to differentiate. You can also just play some games, have fun, and it's fine. But if you want to invest a little bit of time and like to improve, I think unless you really do it for the money and you're a professional, you can just study stuff that you like studying. If you like end games, study end games. If you like to study openings, do it, if you have fun doing it. Um, I think there are certainly different products available and you can, I think, select something that is more suitable for you or less suitable to you. Um, For example, I think that the, the latest that I did to keep it simple for Black, I think would be suitable for a relatively wide range of players. Even for a very strong player, it could be okay because they might need a little bit more detail at some points, but they are strong enough to add them themselves but they have a really good outline while for like a typical club player or online player they have all they need and in, in some cases maybe even more than they need i mean i think i'm down to 350 trainable lines which is i think a good count it's not yeah unmanageable but maybe even less is possible i mean they are quick starters even. so you can kind of i think um adjust it a little bit to what you you need um, what I have to add, though, I think there is definitely some demand and some need for more good courses on middle and end games, and it's something that I'm thinking about too. Of course, I don't want to do just only opening courses, and maybe I'm doing a middle game end game course at some point. It's definitely possible. Um, what I need for that is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Something. It's not um, that I don't want to do it, but. I usually need this eh moment like, okay, this is good. Let's do that. And I didn't have that yet. If I have it, I'm very happy doing a middle-game course or end-game course at some point because I think there's not so much great around in that regard that is accessible. I think th- th- some things are a little bit too tough if you think about, like, Duretsky's end-game value. Take that. It's, it's fantastic, but it's very difficult. Yeah. And there's, of course, there are... Simpler end game courses, but I don't know something that would be more accessible maybe to amateurs. That could be something, or for end game strategy maybe. I don't know. There are there are ideas, but I didn't yet have an idea that I was so um, enthusiastic about that I started work on a course. So
0: that makes sense. I love your advice about uh, making sure it's something that you enjoy. That's a point I try to highlight as well. Of course, um. We're we're talking a lot about openings here, but everyone I think has a different aspect of the game that they gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, firm advocate of doing doing more of what you like. Um, and uh, and generally, Alex, um, the other advice I always give is just look at look at your results. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, Aim Chess or the chess.com algorithms or whatever it may be will we'll give you a sort of big picture sense of how you're doing in the opening. Yeah. And if they're a problem area for you, then, and if, as Christoph said, and if you are working on improving rather than just playing strictly for fun, then you need to work on them. But But I mean, if... If your results are okay out of the opening, don't don't let peer pressure get, force you to study openings. I mean, there's there's plenty of other uh, ways to spend your chess time.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's also I think it's very individual. Every person is is a bit different in that regard. I think that um, if you have a very good memory for opening moves, you probably don't need much time. Some people might need more time. It's just very different. It's very different. Yeah, that's a good point. It's very different. I, I just have to say that in my own case, I always had a very good memory for opening moves. So I don't even need to do repetition. I mean, I just n- look at it once and I know it somehow. But that is not everybody. People need yeah, different time spans, different techniques, certainly. And therefore, you have to really judge for yourself what, what you need. Um, and also, I mean, I think uh, an important point is, just like, during the games, like, do you enjoy the positions that, that you get? If you never do that, it's it's an opening thing. I mean, then... That's a
0: really good point, yeah.
2: I mean, the, the, people often enjoy, like, I enjoy playing middle and game, end games, yeah, but, I mean, if your position sucks after 10 moves every game, it's it can be difficult.
0: You know? I mean, yeah. That's interesting that your memory is so good. You're... With all the, the courses you've put out and with the fact that you just revealed you remember them quite well, your opening knowledge overall must just be like off the charts. Um, do, you, do you notice when you play Blitz that you're just like always knowing more than, than players of your level?
2: I, I, I do remember the things relatively well, but sometimes, like in Blitz games, um, it's sometimes too f- a little bit too fast. I need a bit of time to remember sometimes. But then I get there. But in Blitz you cannot invest a minute. But
0: okay, and I guess no classical. I mean, obviously you mentioned you're being safe with COVID. But do you think, uh, do you think when COVID's over, you'll get back to any Bundesliga games or anything like that?
2: It's tough to say. We haven't played. We, we I had the um, the final game before the first wave of the pandemic that I had was in March 2020, and then there was a break of one and a half years, and then we had one game in my league, and now we are on a break again. I don't know. It's tough to yeah. say. I mean, I'm not enjoying the longer time control games anyway. So, I mean, even without any pandemic, I don't enjoy them that much. So I'm unsure if I'm going, okay. to, going, to, play, I'm going to play again. Yeah. Well, what I what I do suggest if people think about like opening preparation is um Study, I mean, there are enough tools now around that you mentioned, like aim chess is one of them. I think there are some others even. Um, Analyze your results a little bit and see if something is very, very obvious. Like if you don't score at all in a certain opening, maybe it makes sense to do some work there. I mean, you just enjoy yourself more later if you know something. I don't think you need to know all that much in some cases to just be much better prepared and have better results and therefore more fun. This one thing. And if, if some results are absolutely atrocious, <laughs> then play something else. It just, I mean, I never did this analysis strangely enough before I became an author. Because I mean, I, I played some openings for years with terrible results and never changed. And I don't know why. It makes no sense to me from from, from a today perspective. Like I played the French defense like dozens of times over years and my results were terrible and I kept playing it. And I don't know why. I mean, I never had a coach. Maybe, maybe a coach would have said me, you know, you're scoring like an absolute clown with these openings. What I'm <laughs> doing. And I never changed it. And I mean, this is something that I feel makes sense for people to look at, like how are your results? And like, not anecdotally, but like really look at statistics. Nowadays, we have the tools. If you play online chess, for example, let's say I have like 20,000 games on lead chess. I'm I'm crossing that mark in the next days. And 20,000 games is a lot, really a lot. And it makes some statistics out of 20,000 split games are meaningful. And if you don't score at all, like nothing in an opening, you just have to ditch it.
0: That's an excellent, yeah, that's a really good point.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's... and use the real figures, not like I mean. I used to have an argument with friends of mine, like over this French defense. Yeah, like they were saying, oh, "Your results were good," and like, no, <laughs> they weren't good. And <laughs> nowadays, we have real statistics. It's not like what you remember because your memory is often very selective. Yeah, you think about like one beautiful victory, and you you kind of forget the ten painful losses. I mean, sometimes the beautiful victory might be compensating, but if your results are really bad. On the other hand, I mean, I have a statistic now. And I'm always playing the openings in Blitz that I'm working on. Like, I've played the Cow and the Queen's Gambit decline now for three months every day, for example. And I've played other stuff before, completely different stuff that I worked on for other courses. And interestingly enough, um, my scores are identical, pretty much identical, which shows that as long as it's kind of good like to begin with you should have reasonable results just have to put in some study work but i i I recognize that at the beginning i I try out the things without knowing them all that well and over time it gets a little bit better it should be right if you study it for a month and month it should get a little bit better but the statistics are really meaningful you can easily find out what works well for you or I really found out, like in the Caro Kann, I found out quickly that I'm not scoring in one or two lines, and then I did the work on that for the course, and it improved a lot. So it really works a lot um, better if you use real figures. And with with Blitz, um, it, it it gets to the point where you have many, many games, and that makes it a meaningful statistics. With classical um, time controls, it, it takes a while until you get some real feedback.
0: Yeah, that is an issue with classical. Um... For sure. And one one last follow up on this, this blitz question, Christoph. I mean, I think a lot of people s- struggle with some aspect of either like blitz tilt or, or something along those lines or setting rules. So it sounds like partially as part of your work for designing courses, you've got blitz as like a daily practice. Yes. Um, so I'm curious if you have any rules around like how much you play and and game review in terms of making sure you, you pick something up out of it
2: i'm terrible <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: not supposed to say that
2: <laughs> no i play too much actually still i mean i want to play some it's fun and i get this i want to try out the the openings that i research for sure and it, it helps a little bit as i said you get some pointers um but i still play too much and too late i think this is a real problem sometimes that you Let's say um, you are at 10, 10 p.m. in the evening and like, okay, let's play two games. And we all know it's not going to be two. It is right. going to be more. And then uh, no, it's terrible. I had some awful, awfully long sessions. Uh, in Nah, then let's not go there. Um, if you are so disciplined, I think it makes sense to really set a rough framework, like let's say 10 games per day or whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, that could make some sense. What, what I do sometimes, and I know it's, it's kind of debatable to do that. If I lose a game against somebody really badly, I set them on the block list, like <laughs> not because they did something wrong, just to stop myself from doing a, a rematch.
0: Oh, okay. Like That's I funny. Do,
2: I just want to do something like because I'm, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, block. And I unblock them the next day, you know, just just that I've done something to click and it's not rematch. That's uh, I'm funny. not sure if that helps anybody, but <laughs> I sometimes do that. It's okay. Kind
0: of, so there we have a high level trick for, for <laughs> us to keep in I mind.
2: Don't, I don't think it's a fantastically well thought out idea, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah okay.
0: well, Christoph, th- this has been great as always. Do you Do you have anything to add before we uh, wrap up? any any topics you wanted to to hit?
2: Um, not, not particularly. I mean, we talked about that before. I'm looking forward to you having Magnus on the show. That would be a fantastic feat
0: yeah so yeah say, and I uh, were doing some high level planning before we we press record uh again <laughs> nothing scheduled listeners but but uh yeah,
2: absolutely no I, I just want to also congratulate you on uh, five years right five years yeah five like years amazing yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. fantastic I'm, I'm, my daughter
0: on, was a baby and now she's in kindergarten
2: <laughs> yeah that's crazy right i mean i've been yeah. on one of the earlier ones, right?
0: Like Yeah, I've told this story before, but yeah, you were one of the first people I didn't know that I reached out to, and um, you, you know the, the chess YouTube uh, p- pond was smaller then, and you were a bigger fish in that pond. Now you, you do all your work for Chessable instead, so I remember I, I was really uh, moved by how gracious and responsive you were right from the beginning, even when my podcast was uh, was pretty small.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great story. Yeah? What what you did with with the podcast, it has evolved fantastically, and I hope to um, yeah give a listen to some of the episodes of recent times because when I'm doing. The final stages of a course, like the last like, two months, I'm, I'm completely in deep dive. I don't do anything else. yeah. And uh, I worked pretty hard up to Christmas. And Christmas was the, the last day when I worked on the course. And now I'm catching up on things. Yeah, I watched the Queen's Gambit show.
0: Uh, right. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. I watched
2: that. And now I'm getting to, to your podcast also, yeah? catching up. So <laughs> good luck Excellent. with the podcast in 2022. And hopefully you get Magnus on.
0: Yeah, let's make it happen. All right, thanks, Christoph. It was fun as always, and uh, good luck with uh, with this course and uh, your your next courses. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout-out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial one on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and, or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, Ben, at PerpetualChessPod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters, those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show have access to live zoom q a lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games answering questions stuff like that and you can even get access to ad free perpetual chess if that's your preference so but most of all thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode